Well, we're back in a series of messages entitled Fight for Your Family. But before we begin that, uh, how many of you have noticed in the news that there's been a few hurricanes and we had some stuff going on? Uh, somebody mentioned, you know, uh, like, what, like what is that? Well, really, it's a sign of the times. In Luke 21, and Jesus is talking about the end times right before he returns, he said, on the earth there'll be distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, literally like hurricanes. It, it, it is a sign of the times. And Jesus said, you know, lift up your head, your redemption draws nigh. In Romans chapter 8, it talks about basically the same thing. It says the creation was subject to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption. It's like creation itself knows redemption is near. Now, we're going to be talking again today about fight for your family. Nehemiah as they're rebuilding the walls of the city of Jerusalem and there's opposition from outside. He said, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Fight for your families, for your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And, and it's a picture. They're, they're building literal walls, but it's talking about the walls of our lives, the walls of our families. Right? And, and it's saying, you know, you're going to need to fight. In fact, in Nehemiah 4, just a couple of verses after this, it talks about Nehemiah said, with one hand you have a sword and with the other hand you're building the wall. He said, at the same time that you're building, you need to realize you need to fight. You don't emphasize the fighting, but you need to recognize that you need to fight. You know, a mailman's job is to deliver the mail, right? I mean, how many remember when we used to have mailmen that walked up your street and put that? All right. His job was to deliver the mail. But well, I heard about one mailman, what he did, there was a dog on that street. And that dog kept on bothering him. And so all that he did was he had pepper spray and he had a bat and he'd walking up and down the street. All right. He didn't get the mail delivered, but he took care of the dog. All right. You see, what we don't want to do is focus on the enemy right? We need to deal with the enemy, but we need to deliver the mail, right? We need, to, we need to take care of our home. We need to take care of our wives, of our children, our families, all right? And we need to build the kingdom of God. Yes, there's an enemy, and yes, we need to deal with the enemy. So Nehemiah said, with one hand, you've got a sword, but with the other hand, you're building. So when the devil shows up, we deal with them. When problems shows up, we deal with those problems, but our focus is on building. And in Deuteronomy 30 and 19, God said, I call heaven and earth as witness today against you that I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that you and your descendants may live. Now, we talked a little bit last week about how you're not a rock, you're not an island. The things that you do do not just affect you. The things that you do, they affect your family. And the Bible says very, very clearly that they affect your descendants. Right? So Paul said, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. The Christian life is a fight. Some people think it's just what you believe. No, no, no. It's what you do with what you believe. 
right? And there is always a fight. The Christian life is a fight from the, tomb, from the womb to the tomb. So we began talking last week a little bit about using your authority. And today we want to talk about how to bless your family. How to bless. Well, obviously you can bless your family through your choices, through choosing right. But I think it's interesting as Jesus is ministering, they're trying to bring some children to Jesus. And the disciples are like, no, you can't do that. Don't bring them. Don't bother them. And Jesus saw it, the Bible says, and was greatly displeased and said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not forbid them for as such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever doesn't receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms. He laid his hands on them and he blessed them and he blessed them. Now, we want to talk for just a couple of moments about how do you bless today? How do you bless your family? Notice that Jesus took them up in his arms, put his hands on them and spoke a blessing over them. The first time I was in Israel was uh, 30, 34 years ago. And uh, we spent a Friday evening in the home of a Jewish rabbi. And I, I will never forget the first time I'd ever seen this done. I mean, his kids literally lined up. And the young ones, he took up on his lap, put his hands on them, and blessed them. And the older ones, they would either kneel down or stand up, and he would just put his hand on them and speak a blessing over them. Now, your words have tremendous amount of power. In fact, when Jesus sent out his disciples, he sent them out two by two, and he said, whatever city or town you enter, inquire who's worthy and stay there until you go out. And when you enter that house, he said, greet that house or speak to the house and say, peace to this house. Right? If the house is worthy, let your, your peace will rest on it. And if it's not worthy, your peace will come back to you. He said, Jesus is saying, you bless that home by speaking to that home. Right? And your peace, he said, it will rest on that house. And the things that you and I say about our family, about our children, uh, those things have tremendous amount of power. The Bible says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. When uh, Joseph is in Egypt and his father, Jacob, comes, Joseph brings his sons to his father, both Ephraim and Manasseh. And the Bible says that Joseph brought them up to his father, and his father put his hands on them. And what was interesting, he crossed his hands. Right? And what he ended up doing was he put his right hand on the, the uh, younger and his left hand on the older. Now, the, the right hand is considered the hand of blessing. And when Joseph saw that, he's like, no, no, no. He said, switch your hands. And his father said, no. He said, the younger is going to be greater than the older. And, but he put his hands on them and spoke a blessing. Uh, we, we often think that we can wish a blessing. We can just have good intentions and wish it. But there is power in speaking it and hearing it and it's setting it into motion. I just think it's really interesting how God told the priests back in Numbers um, 6, God gave instructions to the priests and said, this is the way you will bless the people of Israel. 
Speak to them and say, the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you. And um, it was a while back when I was studying and read uh, verse that said, I will bless the Lord at all times. And I thought, yeah, I'll do that too. I will bless the Lord at all times. I thought, I wonder what I'm doing. Um, bless the Lord at all times. I mean, am I just going to like give him warm fuzzies all day long? Um, that's good too. And that was when I looked it up the word bless and found out that it, it meant to, to kneel, uh, to uh, take a position that will benefit the other, us towards God or God towards us. And, and I, I saw, wow, so here God told the priests to bless the people by speaking to them, the Lord bless you. And in that, they were saying, they were prophesying, they were predicting, they were declaring that, that God himself was going to choose a position to benefit them by giving himself on the cross and shedding his blood, consecrating them with his blood. And just the power in doing that over and over again, keeping on, keeping on, keeping on over the years. And, and I believe that without that obedience and doing that, that a lot of the way couldn't have been open for Jesus, but that you open the door for blessing or for cursing. There's the power of life and death in your tongue. Mm -hmm. And um, some of you have experienced uh, the, the binding of a curse that someone spoke to you, something from their tongue. And Dwayne and I were kind of talking about this earlier this morning, how, um, you know, when he was a boy, his dad was impatient with fixing things. And uh, I mean, he was a fixing man, fix it, and, and asked Dwayne to bring him a tool. And Dwayne had, didn't have a clue what, the, what it was. I still don't hardly remember what a wrench is. But it's one of those things. And, um, you know, I get them confused, so you just bring a pliers and a screwdriver and all the other things in the drawer, and you've got it covered. But anyway, he brought the wrong thing, and his, his dad was impatient and, and, and just really spoke a curse to him that he was stupid and he didn't know anything, how to fix anything, and he should stay away because if he touched it, he would break it. And, you know, I'm sure his dad went on just hoping the best for his son, but those words planted something in him that this, to this day, he tell, he'll tell you how nervous he gets going into Home Depot because it's just like, <laughs> like there's this thing. <laughs> Is that right? Uh, my, Mike said that, that right before service, we were talking, and Mike said, you know, I'm like zero when it comes to fix it. And I, I, I said, I'm like 10 negative zero when it comes to fix it. Don't even... Don't even talk to but, me but about it. But some of those phrases and things, and you might have had things spoken, you think, oh, yeah, no, I'm cursed the rest of my life. No, you're not cursed. we got to stand up and say the curse is broken by the blood of the Lamb. The curse is broken over me. It's over, over my family, my children. And on purpose, let's take back the things that the devil inadvertently or our parent, whoever, has cursed, let's take back the blessing for ourselves and for our family. And some of you parents, it starts with you. It starts with you breaking the curses that were on your life, saying, you know what? I forgive my parents every mistake that was I forgive that teacher. I forgive those people. And I just receive blessing that God speaks over me. His banner over me is love. I am loved. I am accepted. I'm okay. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. The, all of the Good things that Jesus is, is now in me. I am, I can relate with him and not with um, the curse from the past. Uh, many years ago, oh, 
25 years ago probably, we had a guest speaker come from Australia. Uh, he told the story, he was in second grade, and Mrs. Phillips took him aside and said, Peter Daniels, you are a very, very stupid, stupid boy. Teacher, uh, he ended up, he was literally, he could not read, 26 years old, working a manual job. Billy Graham came to town, he went to the evangelistic meeting, got saved, kind of taught himself to read. Then he took and went through the dictionary and memorized the dictionary and began to do different things. And when, when he came, uh, he was one of the rich, multimillionaire, one of the richest people in all of Australia. He was trying to buy that big ranch in Australia, you know, the one that's the size of Texas. Literally, it's literally bigger than Texas. It's one ranch. He's trying to buy that ranch. And he talked about how the words that were spoken to him kept him in bondage. And those words sometimes that are spoken over us can keep us in bondage. And we need to break those things in Jesus' name. In Jesus' can name. Can I say something else? No, you... Yeah, one more thing. One more thing. Um, that is, uh, when you have had things spoken to you, it can, it can set your level of expectation. Mm -hmm. It just can kind of set it at a certain level. And then you'll think, yeah, yeah, I'm free of that. But your expector needs to get improved. So here's a verse for you. Um, in 3 John, 11, verse 11 says, Do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. And that just really spoke to me that when you see lack, you see failure, you see fear, you see what uh, death was spoken maybe over your life or you spoke over your own life. You, sometimes you don't need somebody else to curse you. You do it all by yourself. Um, and, but when that's what you see, then that's what you expect. And, and when I read this, I just got this vision, this picture of standing in front of the mirror in the morning and what look, you know, I look in there and things look wild. You should see this in the morning. This is like <laughs> everywhere and, and any makeup I didn't get washed off, you know, is just smeared and it can look really bad. But I have an image on the inside of me that's different than what I see in that mirror. So I go about rearranging and cleaning up and straightening things up to, to come a little closer to an image I have on the inside of me. Does that make sense? And that's what this verse is saying here, that um, what's important is for you to know God, to see God, to choose God. Seeing God is going to affect my doing. It's going to affect my speaking. It's going to affect what I see and what I expect. And it's like if, if I don't know what God is like, I won't know what to imitate. I, I won't resist evil. If I don't see God, behold and experience God, I won't discern right from wrong. I might see bitterness as something that's beneficial. I might see anger as somebody else's fault. I might see self-centeredness as necessary or worry as caring. There's things that God says, you know, this is the best for you. But if we don't know and experience God, then we don't know how to imitate. Anyway, I just, I think that is really helpful in breaking free of those curses is, all right, God, I'm going to get out your word. I'm going to open up your word. I ask you to open up my eyes to behold the wonderful things mm -hmm. that I need to see and understand about you and about myself, mm -hmm. about my husband, about my family, my kids, mm -hmm. and that I, I might imitate you. Yeah. And that doesn't mean you're perfect, right? 
Uh, we, we are here talking about this, but we are not perfect. I just want you to know I had to apologize yesterday. I think twice. I, I remember one very clearly. I think I, I had to apologize yeah. twice. And, and, uh, I was glad he did. I, he, he did something I thought, oh, that was not right. And, <laughs> and he should apologize. But, and then I had to think, oh, what if he doesn't? <laughs> then I'm going to have to forgive him anyway, and oh, that's going to be hard. You know, it's hard if they don't acknowledge it. And I thought, man, but i got to drop this. I can't make an issue and keep this going. That'll be like poison in our family. But, man, he, you know, so I, I had, it was, it's kind of like God gave me this opportunity to work on my own heart before he comes and says, oh, man, I blew it. I'm sorry. I said, phew. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, let's, let's not talk about that anymore. <laughs> I never know what she's going to say, so. <laughs> I'll tell you, that's a benefit of growing older, maybe, because we forget. Like, I don't remember what it was that, that he did, but it was bad enough. I felt bad about it, and now I'm not going to try to dig it up and tell you about it because yeah. I don't remember. And if I did, I probably would get hurt again. <laughs> okay. Point number two. <laughs> All right. And, and this is something that we do ourselves. It's keep your heart hot towards God. In Revelation 3, it says, Jesus said, I know your works, that you're neither hot nor cold, and I wish you were cold or hot. So then because you're lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, he said, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. Now, the most instruction in one place that parents are given in the entire Bible is in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And this is how it starts. And the words I command you today shall be in your heart. And then it says, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. You know, you, you how do I say this right? You can tell people what you know, but you reproduce what you are. And so what God is saying here, he's saying, it's got to be in you. you. You can tell your kids something, but if it's not in you, it will not. You, you, you will communicate what you are, not what you know. You're going to reproduce what you are. And so God begins by saying, if you want your family to be a godly family, he said, make sure that it's in your heart. Right? It's got to be in you. You can tell them information, but you don't reproduce that information. You reproduce who you are. And then it says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They'll shift frontlets before your eyes. You'll write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gate. What's God saying? He's saying, you need to be a fanatic. Right? You need to be a fanatic when it comes to the word of God. And what you do in your house needs to be based on God's word, not on culture, not on feelings. He says, you just, everything, that, when you're lying down, when you're walking, when you rise up, all the time, it's what does the word say? What does the word say? What does the word say about this? What does the word say about this? I, mean, I remember, as our kids were growing up, um, there was a lot of pressure from certain people in the church on, on our kids to do this or do that. And they would come up and say, what is your parent? When do your parents let you do this? And do your parents let you do that? And do your parents let you do this? And do your parents let you do that? And uh, our, our deal with our kids was this. It says, you have to do nothing because you're pastor's kids. 
There is zero expectation on you because you're the pastor's kids. We do things because they're what the Bible says to do. And we don't do things because it's what Christians don't do. It's just that simple. It's not because you're the pastor's kids. It's because this is what a Christian does. This is what the Bible says. Right? And no matter whose house it is, that's what it ought to be. Right? We do what we do because it's in the Word. It's in the Word. Now, Jesus is talking in Mark chapter 4 about the parable of the sower. And, and by the way, Jesus said about this parable, he said, this is the grandfather of all parables. He said, if you can understand this parable, he says, you can understand all of them. He said, if you don't understand this one, he says, you won't understand any of them. Right? But he says as he's in, interpreting this parable for the disciples, he says, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. You know, we often talk about God's word and say it's powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. I've heard people say there's nothing that can stop the word, but that is not true. Right here, it says that you can cause God's word to be unfruitful by the deceitfulness of riches, by the cares of the world, the desire of other things, enter in and choke God's word so that it produces no fruit in our life. Now, I just wanted to mention a couple of those things that, that Jesus mentioned because I think there are things that come in and choke the word. And if the word gets choked in you, it's going to be choked in your family. It's not going to produce fruit. Right? Uh, I, I believe this. I believe that when we follow the word of God, Right? It, makes, it makes loving God, serving God, Christianity the most appealing thing on the planet. But when we say that we follow that word, but we choke that word, right, it becomes very unappealing. It becomes very unappealing because we're acting like I'm following the word, but the truth is it's the word has been choked and not producing fruit in our lives. But Jesus talked about cares worry very simply the worries of this life if if you get more focused on the problems and the worries it will choke god's word he said the deceitfulness of riches and the deceitfulness of riches comes to every single person it's not a rich person problem it's a people problem because money comes and says you know if you just had more you'd be happy if you just had that house you'd be happy if you just had that car you'd be happy if you had more money, you wouldn't, you, you, you wouldn't feel empty. Man, if you had that, you would be somebody. You would be a success. You would be admired if you just had that. When we put our trust and our confidence in money. Jesus said it will choke the word of God. It will cause it to become unfruitful. And it's, notice the desire for other things. Listen, anytime, anything, doesn't matter what it is takes a place of priority in our heart and life over our relationship with God. Anytime that happens, we're in trouble. The word of God will be choked and will become unfruitful. Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God. The only way the kingdom works is when we seek the kingdom first. Any other way, it will not work. I was thinking about it this week. There used to be an old song that we sang, a, a hymn that said, trust and obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus. 
And I believe miserable people are people that are Christians who don't seek first the kingdom. Right? They think that they're going to be fulfilled by something else. And any, any of these things, anything, whether it's, it, it, can, it can be money, it can be fame, it can be an occupation, it can be our family, it, it, whatever it is, when it comes in and takes first place, right, it chokes God's word. God's word is no longer effective and fruitful in our lives. And, and really, you, you say, how do we know if it's choking? How do we know if something else has come in? Come in? Well, where do you put your time? Where do you put your time? You know, if your time is just in those other things, when you've got an opportunity to do something, it's come in and it's choking the word of God. I was going to say, um, the fear of the Lord, sometimes that phrase is like confusing for people, but if we see that as um, the fear of the Lord is the focus on the Father, it's focusing on God, that's what the fear of the Lord is. Um, Psalm 34 says, taste and see that the Lord is good, blessed is the man who takes refuge in him, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing, and that the the focus, the fact that um, we're seeking God first, that's, and over and over you'll see the, the benefits and the word of God of fearing the Lord and seeking him first. And, and uh, you taste and see that the Lord is good, and then your husband's going to taste and see that the Lord is good because he's around you. And then wives, when you husbands seek the Lord and are tasting and seeing that the God is good, you're feeding focusing on the Father and feeding on His faithfulness, and you're going you're gonna to give off an aroma and a taste that, you know what? Um, I, I've seen it over and over again. If one person in a marriage relationship, if they're having trouble in the relationship and one of them starts just seeking to please God and, and react with love and, and, and just seeking to, to be Christ-like and... and it either will do one of two things. The people around you, which in that catch situation, your spouse, it will either melt them because that's what the, the love of God does, or they have to flee. Uh, it's just one or the other. It'll be drawn to you, or they'll have to harden their heart and, and leave. So the right way to handle every situation is is God's way, uh, with Christ's love, with his mercy, with his grace, with his provision. Taste and see that he is good. Okay. Let me close with one last scripture and one last thought. Jacob is now 147 years old. He knows he's about to die. So the Bible says in Genesis 24 that he gets his sons around him, his 12 sons around him. And he said their father spoke to them and he blessed them each one according to his own blessing. So he knows he's about to die. In fact, it's, it's, it's a matter of a few hours he's about to die. And he gets his family around him, and he blesses them. Now, th 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 this should speak, and we're going to look at what he says here to them, but this should speak volumes to us. Uh, we can think life is about a lot of different things. We can think it's about entertainment, it's about position, it's about acquisition, but nobody on their deathbed says, hey, let me see my bank account. Where's my stock portfolio? I want to see my stock portfolio. No, that's not what anybody says. Right? 
When, when, when you know that you're about to step into eternity, what you want to have around you is your family. Right? The most important thing on the earth, your family. Right? And so then he says to them, he charged them and he said to them, I'm about to be gathered to my people. He said, bury me with my father in the cave, which is in the field of, of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Madri in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephron the Hittite as a possession for a burial place. I got to take a stop here and say something. I've read this so many times. Now, I've read my Bible cover to cover over 120 times. And this particular account is mentioned twice where Abraham buys this lot. All right? And so I'm thinking, we got to go see it. Right? So it's in Hebron, which is in the Palestinian territory. And so we tell our tour company we want to go. And they say, oh, you can't go. And I said, no, we got to go. We got to go. And they says, okay, we'll get you a bulletproof bus. Okay. So they stick us in a bulletproof bus. And uh, we're going up there. And it was probably a good thing we had a bulletproof bus. <laughs> there, there were no bullets, but uh, it had snowed. And the Palestinian kids are putting stones in the snowballs. And they're whipping them at our bus, hitting our windows. And, and uh, so we get up there to, to Hebron, right? This is where David was king for seven and a half years of the tribe of Judah, all right? And we're, we're going to go see the field. Uh, we got there, and I'm like, duh. He bought the field 4,000 years ago. A few things have changed, <laughs> all right? And it's not a field with a cave anymore, all right? In fact, 2,000 years ago, Herod the Great built this huge, massive structure on top of it, you know, and, and you can kind of go in and they'll go to the cave down there. And you go, oh, great. Anyway, I thought you'd want to know that. <laughs> okay, so he says, bury me. All right. And he says, where they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife, where they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife, there I buried Leah, the field and the cave that were, they were purchased from the sons of Heth. And when Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet in his bed, breathed his laugh, and was gathered to his people. So he knows he's about to die. He's got all his family around him. And then he starts to talk about Abraham and Sarah, about Isaac and Rebekah and Leah. You know what he's doing? He's talking about his parents and about his grandparents. Because he knows I'm about to leave this world, and the Bible said he's going to be gathered to his people. All right? He begins to think about spiritual things. He begins to think about heaven. You know, when Job was in the midst of his turmoil, he thought he was going to die. This is what he said. He said, after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I will see God. Right? The most important thing in your life needs to be your relationship with God. Number one, relationship with God. Number two, your family. Number two, your family. And we see it so clearly as Jacob is about to step into heaven. The minute he gets done, takes his feet up in the bed, and he goes. Right? And let's not focus on the wrong things, but let's keep our focus where it needs to be. Keep your focus on the kingdom of God. Keep your focus, Jesus said, seeking first the kingdom and then on your family.